to understand Jordan Peterson, rather than look at the man himself as if you're being mesmerized by an individual character, look at what influences him. Why has he chosen Nietzsche? Why is it the gulags? Why has he gone the depression that he has? Where are his instincts? And then ask yourself, why am I following that path? in a linear way. Am I trying to get to the same goal that he's getting to and this is why I'm interested in his work? Or is there something more fundamental than that that you can access and then perhaps avoid some of the problems that have happened to him? If you want to understand Carl Jung the man, you must understand Carl Jung the personal myth. We don't, we should not go transpersonal and mystical to understand the whole because you don't understand it when you do that. Everything becomes a fantasy about archetypes. How many are there? Well, it's this many and that many. Yeah. And yeah. It starts to sound like the 12 gods on Olympus. Yeah. The archetypal fantasies, and they are, which have pervaded culture at the moment, are symptomatic of a very, very deep cultural disturbance. And what I'm calling and referring to deliberately as being archetypal fantasies is a kind of cultural pathology where you have an overcompensation by drifting into fantasy about things, which conceals the true origin of what things are in and of themselves. And we're getting uh, prophets of this, prophet as in biblical prophet, um, who are appearing on the internet at, at various levels. Uh, Jordan Peterson is one of them. Uh, and it's symptomatic in a way of what Jung did say, and, and I guess Nietzsche about religion and, and, and that, but it's more fundamental than Christianity. This, this goes right down to the absolute sense of meaning, which transcends any individual representation of meaning, i.e. through religion. And the distortion that, that, that's come in is to over-reify archetypes, reduce them, first of all, to characters and mistake if archetypes exist at all, that character for the narrative within which they flourish. Now, Jung was very um, obscure about archetypes and he was obscure about instincts as well. And he tended to denigrate instincts as being something which really were not even psychological. And then when he discussed the self, he, he, his conception, he created the, the, uh, the term. I fully credit him for that. But I think that too is misleading because he speaks about that in a psychoreductive way. That would imply an almost Cartesian separation between the facts of biology and the empirical, experiential, everyday life facts of psychology, including the cultural representation of symbols of the self as projected out into culture in the form, say, of a monotheistic god, which was what he was grappling with. <clears throat> now, the difficulty with that is that not everybody is religious in that structured sense, and not everybody is a monotheist. Hindus are not monotheist in the conventional sense, although they would argue that they are, and that their many and varied gods are just expressions of the same god. That's a different spin on things altogether, so there's confusion everywhere about these things. But without instinct, I would argue, you have no archetypes at all. Archetypes occupy a middle layer between what you can empirically demonstrate as being real, i.e. complexes, mm -hmm. and instincts, which are also demonstrably and observably real in any form of life on single cell or very, very simple uh, celled organisms. Archetypes sit in that gap. And the thing is, what are they? 
do they do they really exist or are they post hoc cultural fantasies um, as ways of dealing with what you can really experience, which are the production of symbols from outside of normal consciousness? They, they come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So my view is that instincts actually form the basis of what we call archetypes, mm -hmm. because any archetype that's separated from an instinct which you can demonstrate empirically must be there in, in terms of our observation. Any archetype outside of that is essentially a fantasy because there is no context for it at all. Other things that we refer to as being archetypes are really complexes. They're, they're collective complexes. They're cultural complexes. And they're things that Jung called archetypal images. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that archetypes <clears throat> don't exist. I'm just saying that our understanding of what they are generally is probably wrong and also the way that they then are used to feed back into the present cultural situation causes all sorts of other problems because they conceal the truth of what's going on behind a bandwidth a plethora of distractions and the, the main neurosis of the age if you like for young men in particular is a frustration of instinct and of anticipated lifespan development, which is biological and is in the genome. So therefore, if the self is anything real, other than just a fantasy, a psychologically reduced fantasy, it must be genomic. If it is genomic, then instincts have priority ontogenetically, phylogenetically. They are a priori. They exist outside of any archetypal construction that we may make about them and are demonstrable in an evolutionary sense in non-human species and in our close relatives as well and this is what you're getting now with the the no fap movement you're getting a situation where instinct is being directed in a particular way following frustration right it's not substance abuse it's pure natural energy it's libido which is going into a symbolic release of itself and it then gets attached to things if it's pornography for example uh, because fat doesn't have to be connected directly to the use of pornography it can be used internally with imagery mm -hmm. or it can be acted out through uh, social interactions with consenting adults so it's not just reducible to pornography but the thing that links all of it is what freud called libido what Jung would have referred to as being just the life energy yeah so that's the important thing and that is instinctive and when his instincts are blocked, particularly for young men, you're going to get an increase in this. And secondarily, you're going to get the projection of fantasy into organized systems. And video games provide a systematic representation of escapist fantasy. But within the escapist fantasy, you will see very, very clearly instinctive patterns of behavior being acted out successfully towards completion. Mm. And then they're interpreted by a lot of young youths as being archetypal. Well, no, they're fundamentally instinctive. The archetype is the fantasy, if you like, at one level, that justifies the instinct, which is so remote from consciousness and so automatic, it just impels us. So yes, archetypes, I believe, just to, just to be clear, are real but they're different to how they've been presented normally. And the elephants in the room that people are missing in this, in this uh, psychodynamic uh, uh, deaf psychology field is the primacy of instincts and then their effects on us personally, which are our complexes, and then how both instinct and complex operate in a social environment to produce the neurosis of the age, which a whole generation is suffering from. Mm -hmm. So that, that's something that I would like to work through
and develop because I think it's a contribution that we can make positively towards this field. Right. So, so it so, comes after this, then, doesn't it? What, it, it, will, it, it will come it after, will this, come yeah. after this, yeah. I'm sorry for, for saying that. It was, it was just that. Um, it was I, only because we were discussing it before, oh, yeah, you see. Yeah, so sure, I just yeah, wanted to be yeah, sure that you, whether yeah. or not you wanted to include it today, or it's you know, further down the road. Well, we, we could, but, but I, I do feel strongly about it. It, is, it, 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 it is uh, controversial. It's, it's because you're going to hack mm. away at this archetypal fantasy which yes. has been created. And it's escapism. It's another video game that you mm. run in your own head. Mm. The hero cycle. Yeah, yeah. the hero cycle yeah. is real, yeah. but fundamentally it only has any meaning because there are instincts in there. If you remove the instincts, mm. the archetype's empty. It's well, an empty sock, an empty sock puppet, it's an empty glove. There's nothing there at all. In the same way that if you take the hero out of the hero cycle, the hero is a non-playable character to use a, a, a gaming uh, expression. Hmm. And all of this has to be then finally resolved down to the individual in their context, in their culture at this historical time period and what compensations are going on. But it's producing terrible neurosis, terrible. Hmm. And uh, as deaf psychologists, psychotherapists, really, we should be doing something about that. Yeah. Um, this yeah. would be, a, a, I think, a great podcast at some point because it, yeah. it, it will draw a line in the sand, yeah. Yeah. won't it? Yeah, so, uh, so just to be sure, I'm not saying that archetypes don't exist. I'm saying that they're, they're, they're misunderstood and a lot of what passes for them is just a collective fantasy, a fantasy product of instinctive pressure, which when it turns up through resultant images into consciousness and then from there into culture where they become myths, we mistake for being an autonomous system all on its own. But you, you cannot really separate archetype out from instinct because it is a stack, just like the rest of the system's mm -hmm. hierarchy. Instinct, archetype, complex, social and yeah. cultural yeah. interaction. That's it. And you mm -hmm. never get one without the other. They're all intimately interacting. But the pain and the suffering that I'm seeing generally now with young men is this on an instinctive level? Everything else follows from that. Don't be distracted by archetypes. Don't be distracted by internet profits, you know, because it's very easy to do. And if you want to understand the man, understand his personal myth. As soon as you do that, then the scales fall away and you see the emperor has no clothes, so to speak, to borrow a myth or a fairy tale as an illustration. Some of these people are very, very dangerous. Yeah, well, I, I got a couple of questions on that. First of all, I just want to hit on the biology because obviously it's my area. Um, if the self is indeed an archetype, like say the anima and the animus is, I think it'd be a different class of archetype, or indeed just throw away the term because it doesn't really make much sense to me. Because if it's a genomic self, which makes sense, it would include the instincts within it. It wouldn't be a separate separate phenomenon. So you'd have ego self axis, and self wouldn't be an archetype like the others. It'd be ego genome as a, as a complete unit, yeah. but yeah. but not as a complete unit because at one at any one time you're not going to have the whole genome transcribed. A very very small yeah. amount is. So it's like yeah. some some pattern on top of the genome which is anticipated i don't know how that would necessarily work but you're you're um are you referring to primarily other depth psychologists when you're speaking about archetypal fantasies are you speaking yeah, about people on, on the internet because the people on the internet for example don't have the resources which of course is where we're meant to come in and and, and help them so if the audience or if people in the discord are getting questions wrong it's because they've not been taught before so yeah, maybe, maybe that's, that's my I'm more f side com coming out to, to be I'm like not, i'm not blaming them what I'm, what I'm saying is i'm trying to explain to some extent, why they might be as confused as they are. And that is because th there's a whole school within the Jungian movement called uh, archetypal psychology. And James Hillman is, is very closely associated with that. And he, he was a great scholar and he achieved a great deal. Mm. Uh, but the, 
the result of that for some people is an overvaluation of something, fundamental overvaluation of something. And it's the loss of biology, pretty much, you know, across the board, apart from notable people like Rossi and Stevens and a few others, uh, that, that has caused this problem, in yeah. my view. And, and then you have people who have uh, a psychoreductive mm. impression of, of the meaning of life and what life is, you know, who come along and then start to, to propagate ideas and become leaders of effectively cults on the internet and are influencing young men who have fundamentally only one issue, and, and that is their instincts have been blocked and have been frustrated, and, and that pretty much explains everything. Everything follows on from that. It doesn't cure everything because you do have to make changes at all those different levels, but the primary cause is in damage to the release of instincts over lifespan developments. And that's why this present neurosis is pretty much unique mm. and, and wouldn't have turned up in the past when the blocks to instinct weren't there in the way that they are now. Mm. So this is a culturally yeah. induced collective neurosis mm. that is very, very fundamental. What people have to understand is that there are levels of analysis, description, and then explanation of that description from the analysis and at each level that you work at you have a different language and you have a different lens yes uh, but we have to transcend that to understand the whole we don't we should not go transpersonal and mystical to understand the whole because you don't understand it when you do that and, and this was the, the message of george engel to us over 30 years ago when he said it's not about reductionism it is not about holism. It's about neither. This is about a completely different way of looking at things. And another one of my influences uh, was the Dialectics of Biology group. And that was nearly 40 years ago. Uh, and it was from them that I learned, and it was a, it was a massive eye-opener because I was into young then, about the differences between levels of analysis, description, and explanation between biology, psychology, and sociology. Very, very simply stated but it, it opened my mind because I realized that there were things that were wrong with a, a purely Jungian level of analysis. It could not explain certain things. Mm. And that the, the framework as applied, uh, the biological level, the psychological level, and then the social level doesn't explain Jung itself, but it's a framework that allows you to understand Jung better and then broaden it out. But you, if you take that framework away, you necessarily find yourself being narrowed and narrowed yes, and narrowed to the point where everything mm. becomes a fantasy about archetypes. Mm. How many are there? Well, there's this many and that many. Yeah. And yeah. it starts to sound like the 12 gods on Olympus, yeah. the, the, the basic Olympian gods. And then somebody says, well, what about the other gods who were not the main gods? And it gets like that with archetypes. They suddenly proliferate yeah. everywhere. And what you see is that they're just images, that archetypal images expressed locally in a specific culture. They have equivalents in other cultures, but therefore they reduce down to something else. Mm. But people get lost on the surface and start to make a comparative analysis between Greek gods and Roman gods, the obvious one, and then Greek gods and Hindu mm. gods, quite close. And, and so it goes on like that. And then they're lost, they're lost on the surface yeah. without understanding what is the fundamental thing that's there. Those who do go down a little way in, in, into understanding uh, this are still at usually a, a psychological or a cultural level of explanation rather than a biological one and say it must be predicated upon biology. These, these stories, these narratives, which are collective in the sense that they represent things, 
must be anticipated biologically or they would not take, they would not have the power that they do, and they certainly would not be connected to emotion, to the limbic system, and below the limbic system, as I say, right down to the level of gene expression itself. And there will be a level of organisation within <clears throat> the genome, which obviously is not understood as yet, um, which allows all of this to be appropriately managed and directed over the lifespan. Mm. And that then becomes an archetypal fantasy of the self, uh, archetype, and then that becomes a reification that's turned into a monotheistic God if you follow a Christian tradition. And this is what happened to Jung. And what people need to understand is that if you want to understand Carl Jung, the man, you must understand Carl Jung, the personal myth. Otherwise, you don't know what you're experiencing. You don't know what you're being led through. You don't know why he reaches the conclusions he reaches. And I'll say this too about, for example, Jordan Peterson, who's been a, a fantastic um, leader of this, this, this new cultural approach. But if you want to understand Jordan Peterson, rather than look at the man himself as if you're being mesmerized by an individual character, look at what influences him. Yeah. Why has he chosen Nietzsche? Why has he, why has he chosen this, the Soviet Union? Why is it the gulags? Why has he got the depression that he has, which is connected very much to emotion? Where are his instincts? How are they operating through him? And then ask yourself, why am I following that path in a linear way? Am I trying to get to the same goal that he's getting to? And this is why I'm interested in his work. Or is there something more fundamental than that that you can access and then perhaps avoid some of the problems that have happened to him? And it would be the same with Carl Jung. If you follow Carl Jung slavishly, you'll make every single mistake he made. And he did make mistakes. And, you know, he was very good about being open about them. You know, he, he didn't hide the fact, he didn't conceal in his collected works that his ideas evolved. And when he tells you, for example, about the transference relationship, he's telling you about how he discovered it by making every single mistake that he tells others not to. So you can learn from it. Yeah? But if, but if you, for example, you get ahead of yourself and you go to where Jung finished as a starting point, you've not made those mistakes. You don't own them. They're not part of you. You'll go out and make some horrendous errors then because there is no foundation for what you're doing. It'd be far better, I believe, to look at the myth of Carl Jung, his personal myth. What were the influences on him when he was a child? What was the culture like? What was his education like? You know, uh, read his autobiography. It's all in there, everything you need to know. And he says at the beginning, I'm undertaking to tell my personal myth. That was his legacy. He was to say, if you use this as a key, you'll understand my collected works. Yeah. And then you'll know what my own limitations are. His greatest gift was to say, become yourself. But to do that, you have to have a place to stand that's your own. And then you have to go out and get real world experience, test everything as well, including yourself, obviously, along the way. You did remind me, though, Steve, there was a part, it was a footnote in Ion, and I can't remember where it is, but it was interesting. It was something like one of his, one of Jung's graduate students wrote a paper that said that um, polytheism is a reflection of the anima animus stage of culture, which sounds like an incredibly strange thing. So obviously there's a value judgment in there, which is if you are at the self stage, in other words, Christianity, you're a more evolved culture. I had no idea what the hell it meant, but it was a footnote and a reference within Ion itself. So that, that almost goes to show how far the field has indeed come since this book actually came out. Yeah, well, well, well we see Jung was tackling the issue of Christianity 
in his family through his father and in the culture and he was around obviously at the time that Nietzsche's ideas uh, were working through Darwin was relatively mm. new uh, the understanding of genetics was basic you know very very basic and it, it's uh, all of this fed in to a very extraordinary man who was a genius in terms of his insights but his greatest genius was to see and to tell people that this was highly personal and you know he said about about Freud he said Freud's theories are personal statements Alfred Adler's are and he said his were yeah, yeah, this is where the whole Faust connection would come from, isn't it? Because my understanding yeah, is he said that Faust Part 2 was his biggest companion through his life and that there's this weird rumour that Goethe was his great-granddad yeah. or his granddad or something. That, to me, sounds like he's almost compensating by saying, like, I have some kind of symbolic legacy from Goethe and I'm picking up the same struggle, yeah, which seems that, to be the struggle of the West. That's never been verified, but it, that's part of his personal myth yes. that he was descended from Goethe. So you get it. You know, it, yes. it, it, it's all there. But if, if you just follow that alone and you don't take into account the fact that the culture has changed and we're facing different challenges. And all, all of Jung's ideas, his core ones, were formed before the First World War, never mind after the two world wars. His core ideas were seeded then. The main influences on his life impacted him then. So, yeah, it's a monumental amount of work. It really is. And you could spend your life trying to understand it and getting lost. And then yeah. achieving it yourself in terms of your own developments. Well, but this, this um, is really, really important to understand anybody, including ourselves individually. If, if we can tackle that, we really know who we are. And we have to strip away the accumulated collective myths that we've acquired that have wrapped around our timeline. Yeah. You know, whether, whether that's films, whether it's games whether it's anything like that at all, whether, it, whether it's neurotic alibis, guiding fictions, none of that will directly take us there. It will be some form of impediment. Yeah. Even if we have an, an emotional connection, say to the Arthurian <laughs> story, um, we only get so far with that before we become embedded into it ourselves and we do not differentiate ourselves away from it. And in that sense, it then becomes a prison. Yep. Yeah. It does not release us. Part of the problem, I think, is that people don't like simple explanations for things. No. Do they? No, they don't. Really, no. it's no. just, uh, like you say, while, while they can paddle around in archetypes and uh, get lost in them all, yeah. they're kind of happy to do that. But they, the things are, as you rightly say, reducible down to quite a simple yeah. form. Yeah. The, the work clinically and in terms of personal development. Uh, or, or the work clinically and in terms of personal development is how you get from that basic understanding to dealing with your own life and with, if you're a therapist, the <laughs> lives of others. Yeah. And then beyond that, for, for both individuals and therapists, how do you have an effect on the culture within which you live if it's demonstrably become sick? And it has. And I think by any measure, we all know that. And we know that because it is instincts that have been affected and it's at that level that the disturbance is, is there. And it's at that level we must fundamentally tackle it. So as I've, I've said before, the linear progression in simple form is instinct first, then archetype, then complex, then social adaptation. And that's true for any individual, any at all. People say, what are instincts? Well, there's maternal instincts. They're obvious. We can all see what they are. Mm. And we know when they're not functioning properly in a mother because we see that the product of that failure to function properly is children who become severely maladjusted to their own instincts 
and who develop particular complexes and maladaptations later in life. That's clear. What about the incest taboo? So think about Freud, for example. What does that mean? Is that instinctive? Huh? Incest, the revulsion? Or is it cultural? Some people would say it's cultural and in some cultures are more flexible about it. But fundamentally, it's very likely to be an, an instinct because we know that if there's too much inbreeding, then there are consequences genetically for the species. So therefore, it's going to be instinctive. And then it appears in consciousness as a feeling of revulsion. And then a culture adopts that and produces the Oedipus myth. And then somebody like Sigmund Freud comes along and creates a whole psychopathology out of it because he at least did understand that instincts were important. And then if you own a dog, dogs are instinctive. Yeah? They're not conscious in the same way human beings are, but they do have a theory of mind. But principally, it's about instincts with any higher order mammal. Even predators, a pack of lions, they're social. They have a theory of mind about themselves. They will have a theory of mind about their prey as well. Otherwise, they could not anticipate in a flexible way the behavior of targeted animals. But all of that will be instinctive. And any social interaction that a pride of lions has is fundamentally based on a pattern of instinct, which is hardwired and then released with a minimal amount of necessary plasticity with respect to variations in the environment. But again, you can see that instincts are primary. And in human beings, that is the case too. And archetypes follow instincts. They do not lead them. That's so important. And when Jung says that at the, uh, the core of any complex, you'll find an archetype, you'll find an archetypal image for sure. But does that mean you're actually finding an archetype? Does it? You can certainly then find the reality of an instinct behind that image. So you can demonstrate the existence of, of instincts and you can demonstrate empirically, experimentally, the existence of, of complexes. Archetypes are very, very nebulous. What are they? And as we've been discussing with the anima, when we've been describing it as the relating function within the psyche of a man, and we're not reducing it to being an inner woman, you know, uh, that, that's, that, that's a significant departure from the orthodox view of what the anima is. But if you take it as an inner woman, it does not explain what the anima is supposed to do. If you say it is the relating function internally and externally, that explains a lot more. Its explanatory power, in other words, increases exponentially. Because relating is so fundamental to instincts and to survival, to reproduction, to the uh, to social interaction. It's very, very important. Now, Jung did say it tends to be projected upon women. And statistically, that is the case with men. It tends to be. And there's a reason for that, obviously, because of the mother. But then... Think about the animus. The animus is different in its formation by this theory, this, this exposition of Jung's theory, because the primary caregiver usually is still female. So is the animus then female? Is it somehow an anima? It isn't. The relating function in both sexes is derived in a, an imprinting sense from the early relationship to what is usually a female caregiver. And then that, this, this is why the animus develops differently later, because they're under, girls are under genetic pressure to imprint sexually and socially onto the opposite sex. That is completely different from the experience of men. But it means that the, the animus as constructed as an idea, and it is constructed socially as an idea, rather than really seeing the thing in and of itself, is different in kind to the anima. So again, what are, what are these archetypes? 
They seem to be an accumulation of ideas and associations in similar fashion to complexes, but more obviously around core instincts and around the fundamental drive to develop that emerges from the genome itself. That's enough of an, of an explanation to say where archetypes come from. Um, and the fact, of course, that images can be stored genetically um, and transmitted that way. And that, that can come out through prepared learning and printing, sign stimulate, innate release mechanisms and so forth in the discipline of ethology and human ethology, which is a kind of behavioral biology, psychological biology in its natural environment, both for humans and for animals, rather than laboratory testing and an academic setting. So all of these things suggest that the, the, the genes are really important. The instincts are the driving force that release from the genome and the archetypes emerge as triggered on-off switches that represent images and whole situations. So they assist the adaptation that we later call complexes. So an archetype and a complex by that description are intimately related structurally and both of them rest upon instincts which themselves are powered by the genome. And that I think makes more sense. And it, it avoids losing yourself in this proliferation of images, which just becomes like a, a disordered state. I mean, it, I don't believe it's any accident that uh, mental illness, when it is severe and you have a frank psychosis, you see the same kind of imagery in that, as Jung observed very clearly, and others after him, like Ronald Lang, for example, who has been largely forgotten to the intellectual history of, of deaf psychology and psychotherapy. We see the same kind of imagery in mental illness as we do in fantasy and in dreams and so forth. And if you analyze all of that stuff, you reduce down to basic adaptation to survival and to instincts that are pushing that person towards completion. So therefore it's genetic again, it's there. So to avoid biology or to disregard it is a massive mistake. And I think that's one reason why we're in the mess we're in now.